Do you know what you're listening to? And now, ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to the Snowman in the Morning podcast. Did you not get the memo? Insanity ensues. Can't wait. Jay Spivey has partnered with Sports Carolina Monthly to bring you SCM Plus, a subscription service where you can get inside info weekly on your favorite teams and players in North Carolina. Subscribe for only $4 a month at SportsCarolinaMonthly.com. And Jay Spivey joins me on this Christmas week episode. What's going on, Jay? How you doing, Brian? Good to talk to you. Good to talk to you as well. Um, Yesterday, Appalachian State, what? <laughs> <laughs> don't say it in my don't say it through my eardrums. <laughs> I know I don't have to. We will move on from that right now, especially after how I watched that game yesterday. Let's look at the bowls at the ACC Big Four will play in minus Duke. Wake Forest gets Wisconsin. It, that's the Duke Mayo Bowl, December 30th. That's a noon kickoff on ESPN. Multiple players from the Triad High School East Forsyth in this game with quarterback Madison Cohn at Wisconsin, running backs Christian Beal Smith and Amani Marshall at Wake Forest. How good has how good was East Forsyth the past few years? Oh my goodness, Brian! I've seen East play online in the last five or six years. They have pretty much been the preeminent team in the Triad the last uh, five or six years, and. You know, they won the state championship in 2018 and 19. And in 2015, they played powerhouse Mallard Creek and had them down almost the entire game. And Mallard Creek came back and won in overtime. And I was there and probably one of the best games I've ever seen in person. And Christian Bill Smith was on that team. So he, he knows quite well what it was like. <laughs> and I'm starting to get to know that know these, these triad athletes from covering the Blue Chip League. Who's your winner for this game and why? You know, Brian, I mean, on paper, you probably got to say it was Thompson is. Uh, just because, I mean, I think they probably just have, they're bigger and probably stronger. I mean, you're just going to get better better players in the school like Wisconsin, even though Wisconsin's a great school. And, you know, Wisconsin's a huge school. I believe they have like 50,000 students, and Wake only has like 5,000. I mean, that's a huge difference. Yeah. And they have a bigger alumni base. They have a lot more money. I mean, not to say that Wake can't compete, but there's a lot of unknowns with Wake because they haven't, they barely played in the last month and a half. Yeah. Yeah. I, I got to go. <clears throat> I, I can't go with the Big Ten on this one because I saw Wisconsin up close when they played my beloved Northwestern Wildcats, and Northwestern held them to seven points. But as I've right. said often, no one wants no one wants to talk about how good that defense was. If when Wisconsin faces a good defense, they have problems. It's been that way for the last few years. You got Kentucky and North Carolina State in the Gator Bowl. That's January second, noon kickoff. Did North Carolina State head coach Dave Doran turn into the coach of the turn in the coach of the year campaign in the ACC with the Wolfpack? I mean, I guess it could be considered for one of uh, it, you know, it, it, it could be certainly under consideration, but I don't know. There's probably some other candidates out there. I mean, I mean, had they played more games, I think you could probably say Dave, Dave Clawson would at four and four, but, you know, having lost their last game at Louisville last week, just don't know. And, 
that much for me. I mean, they've Clemson, just Clemson. I mean, you know, Carolina lost two games that probably shouldn't have lost, mm-hmm. you know, to Virginia and Florida State. Uh, I mean, yeah, I guess you could consider Doran for one of the – he's certainly under consideration for the year, for sure. Who's the player to watch in this game for North Carolina State? You just don't know. I mean, Brown's seen him play a number of times this year. They're just kind of a Jekyll and Hyde team. I mean, sometimes they look dominant and sometimes they don't. And, you know, against Kentucky, Kentucky's kind of the same type team. You don't know what you're going to get. Right. Right. Absolutely. I mean, right. it's, a, it's, a, it's a good ball. I mean, they get to go to Florida. I mean, you know, Jacksonville's still part of Florida, last I checked. So. Yep. <laughs> so we just don't know. We don't know. Yeah, this is true. Fifth-ranked Texas A&M takes on 13th-ranked North Carolina in the Orange Bowl. That's an 8 p.m. kickoff on ESPN January 2nd. UNC has gone from a three-win team a few years ago to one of the New Year's Six Bowl games versus a team that just missed out on the college football playoff in Texas A&M. How big of a game is this for the Tar Heels in the long run in terms in terms of setting the table for next season? Well, yeah, it's not just for this season and next season and the years to come, but you know, kind of like you know, I was kind of skeptical when they rehired Mike Brown after over twenty years uh, since the last time he coached the Carolina before leaving for Texas. Um, but he certainly come back had a great coaching staff. They recruited the state very well, you know. And and I followed uh, high school football around North Carolina my entire life, having lived here. Now as a reporter, I see it all the time. It is truly one of the most underrated football states in the country. Everybody thinks this is a basketball state, but you know, if you look at it closely, it's not that really not really that good of a basketball state. It's more of a football and baseball state. Mm-hmm. And uh, he, he, you know, Larry Fedora, who was the previous coach of Carolina, apparently, from what I thought, you know, from having talked to a bunch of high school coaches in this area, didn't even try to recruit the state. Didn't even try. And now, wow. uh, Mac Brown and his staff have. Kind of put a wall around the state because, you know, your Clemson's and your Penn State and Virginia's and Virginia Tech's and you know, a lot of big schools in Ohio State and Notre Dame's have come down here for years and just and Georgia's and just come down here every year and years and just raided the state. I mean, everybody saw that and said, thought North Carolina wasn't a bad, wasn't a good football state, but that is just simply not the case. North Carolina is a very good football state. It really and is. And when you're the University of when you're the University of North Carolina, you should be able to compete in football in a good football state. And that's that's what's happening. You know, Mac Brown's doing it again. Michael Carter, along with linebacker Chaz Surratt and wide receiver Diami Brown, announced on Monday that they would not be playing in the Orange Bowl. Could the Tar Heels have two potential Heisman candidates next season in quarterback Sam Howell and running back Javante Williams? Yeah, I think I covered Sam Howell in his senior year at Sun Valley High School in Monroe. They played about Tabor his senior year, and uh, I really didn't know much about about them. Much about him, I mean, I just don't follow things on that far south. But you know, I knew he committed to Florida State, and then he decommitted when Matt Brown took over, and decommitted him with Carolina. Uh, but obviously, he's a phenomenal quarterback, and. He could very well be the Heisman favorite next year if you know everything breaks right for him and for some other players not coming back. And he's he's a dynamic player. 
That he is. Is it becoming an issue with players opting out of these bowls or understandable with this season of all seasons? I get it for this season. I kind of do. I mean, it's just been a, you know, having to talk to some athletes, not just football players, but a lot of athletes over the last couple of weeks. It's just been so stressful on everybody. And some players want to play, obviously, and I, and I get that. And I, I guess some of the coaches want to play too. But it's been so stressful to go through all this, not be able to see their families and be kind of quarantined amongst their camp on campus and having so many postponements and this and that. But I think it's more for real. A lot of these guys are leaving do not get hurt as they prepare for the NFL. I mean, Surratt is probably going to be at worst a second round pick. I mean, his mm-hmm. brother plays way. He, he chose not, his, his brother Sage chose not to play uh, this whole, whole season to get ready for the NFL draft. So, I, and I think that's more the Rudo. And I think they might use COVID as a reason, and that's fine. But, you know, if you're going to the NFL draft, then you're going out for the NFL draft. Could UNC or North Carolina State challenge for the ACC crown next season with Trevor Lawrence and others leaving Clemson? I guess Carolina probably could. But, Brian, I mean, you just look down the roster at Clemson, they're just loaded with four- and five-star players. Mm-hmm. I mean, as long as, as long as they keep this up, I mean, they're going to win the ACC almost every year. I mean, I don't know how this this train can be stopped at this point. And I, I don't know. It's just a, I don't know how it can be it's stopped just, either, especially when they have a freshman who has seen time in DJ Uyangalale, and he he's Trevor Lawrence 2.0, in my opinion. I mean, when he has had to step in, he's performed. And they have a third-string quarterback who's just as good as he is. I mean, they're just loaded at every position, every single position. And they, 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 they've now gotten to the point where they're not just recruiting the South, but they're recruiting the whole country. Mm-hmm. You know, and I don't see I, – I can't see, and I'm sorry to say this, I can't see UNC or North Carolina State. I can see them challenging, but I can't see them beating because, as you said, and I've paid attention to, Clemson doesn't retool. They just reload, and they're loaded at they every do. position. They do. They do. I mean, yeah, Trevor Lawrence is definitely going to lose, and they're going to lose ETM. It seems like he's been there for 20 years, but, you know, they're going to lose those two guys. But like you said, they're just going to reload. And that's scary when you're talking about teams on the rise like North like North Carolina, who should have been a challenge for Clemson if they don't lose to Florida State and they don't lose to Virginia. You know, you would you would think they'd be a challenge, but I don't know. When you got a team like Clemson and, and a coach like Dabo Sweeney who just reloads – and recruits all over the country, like you said, it's going to be hard to knock them off. That's one of my biggest arguments over the last number of years. I've talked to a lot of people, a lot of friends and family over this, but uh, a lot of people probably don't like what I'm getting ready to say, but the ACC, if they really want to be taken seriously, start spending some money on some coaches and facilities and making yourself want to be a football program, a football conference or an overall conference instead of saying you're just a basketball conference. I mean, outside of Dabo Sweeney and maybe Scott Satterfield at Louisville, I guess he's making about four band a year since he left Appalachian, but not many of the coaches in the ACC are making that much money. Right. You know, Mac Brown's done a good job. He didn't need the money. He didn't, he didn't come back to money. He didn't, I think he just did it kind of, uh, kind of the story of what Carolina had when he was there. 
the money, act like you care. I mean, the ACC is not poor. I mean, they're not the Big Ten of the SEC in terms of money because their TV contract's not as good. But right. spend money and become better. That's I mean, about it. Check that, I mean, if you have an athletic program and you're an athletic director, I mean, don't you want to win in every sport? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. You would think. You would th- Yeah, and you I would think. think. And it's a huge moneymaker for Clemson. I mean, they made money hand over fist last couple of years. Yep. Yep, they have. And that's why they continue to participate in national championship games. And teams like Carolina and North Carolina State try to get to the top of the mountain, try to get there with, with with the recruiting. But as you said, they don't spend the money on the coaches and make them feel like, hey, we want you here for a while. Clemson has done that with Dabo Sweeney, and that's why Dabo's taking advantage of it. Well, like I heard, I guess it was Chris Fowler said on ESPN during the game the other night that he said it's pretty much become the, the ACC championship's pretty much become the the Clemson Invitational, and it, mm-hmm. it pretty much has. It has, it has, it has, it has. That's Jay Spivey joining me here to talk all things ACC football. You can catch him on here with me each and every week. Always a pleasure to have you on, my friend. Appreciate it. Thank you. Bro. Thank you, Brian. Take care. Have a good Christmas. You too, man. Merry Christmas to you as well. Headlines are next after this. One of the uh, notes I had on my headlines for this show was um, Kevin Green passed away at the age of 58. And if anybody remembers Kevin Green, he was a pass rushing terror, spent many years with uh, the Los Angeles Rams, but he was part of a fearsome foursome in Pittsburgh that included Uh, himself, Kevin Green, along with Chad Brown, uh, Greg Lloyd out of Fort Valley State, and the gentleman I have on the Beamer Tyrant Auto Hotline, Mr. LeVon Kirkland. LeVon, how are you? Uh, I have to say that I'm I'm a little shocked, a little devastated at this point in time. Yeah, totally understood. Talk about what Kevin Green was, not just on the field, but off it in relation to your time with him with the Pittsburgh Steelers? Well, I can tell you when I – when Kevin first came to the Pittsburgh Steelers, that was my second year, and I was I was uh, fighting for a job um, against uh, David Little. And Kevin was one of the first guys to come up to me and, and tell me that he thought I had everything it took to be a great – inside linebacker. He had me over to dinner with his um, wife, Tara. And throughout that time, we just had a great relationship. Just a really good man, great husband, great father. And the cool thing was that he was one of the guys that I stayed in touch with throughout the years. So he meant a, a great deal to me. and He meant a great deal to a lot of people. Yeah, he did, and he was one of my favorite defenders to watch. And it's, I, I say this all the time on my show, um, you see players that are good with one team, but then they blossom with another. I think that's what happened with, uh, with with Kevin Green teaming up with you and Chad Brown and uh, uh, Greg Lloyd in Pittsburgh. Yeah, you know um, the Rams. They kind of they they put them in. They put him out of position. They put him at a defensive end, but he was a, a true outside backer, and we had a chance to get him at Pittsburgh, and he really just fit in. And not only did he fit in, 
he really helped the young players like Chad Brown and myself become better players by watching film with us, discussing what he saw, really teaching us a whole lot when he really didn't have to do that at all. And, you know, we just kind of grew as a group. We really got better and better. Him and, him and Greg were the guys, but they really raised me and uh, Chad up pretty well. And, it, it, you know, in this game or in this, if you truly meet, you know, it's rare that you meet some great people. And to meet him and to have him as a teammate and to see him go on as a Hall of Famer, you feel a part of it. And he was definitely a part of my life and he's someone that I would dearly miss. With you four playing, Floyd, uh, uh, Brown, Floyd, yourself, and, and Kevin, how close were you guys um, off the field as well as on it? Uh, yeah, you know, we were close. Uh, we were, me and Chad uh, just now was talking about the Zoom meeting that we had uh, during the pandemic. And we, we talked for like maybe an hour, maybe two hours on that thing. And it just, uh, it was just, it was just wonderful because we were, we were pretty close off, on and off the field. We, and I think that's why we played so well together because we we're, we were close guys and we really cared about each other. And that is the most wonderful thing to hear. I mean, it's sad hearing about the passing of Kevin Green. Like I said, he's one of my favorite defenders. He was one of my favorite defensive players to to watch. But to watch him grow on and off the field was, was absolutely something. That's LaVon Kirkland, an alumnus of Clemson University, joining me here on the Beamer Tyrant Auto Hotline during our headline segment, talking all things the man with the locks, Hall of Famer Kevin Green. Unfortunately, he is he's passed away at the age of 58. LaVon, thanks for the few minutes. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Back here on the program, the Panthers have fired Marty Herney, was second in his second stint as the Panthers GM, came back on his interim on an interim basis in 2017, was named GM again in February 2018. He was previously the GM from 2000 to 2012, and he built the Panthers team that got to the Super Bowl in Houston in 2004. And since Herney's return in 2017, they have not been to the postseason. So who's next in line to be the GM of the Panthers? I got a few names for you. How about Ravens Director of Player Personnel, Joe Hortis? Few teams have been more successful over the last two decades than the Baltimore Ravens. Got a strong core there. Lamar Jackson, star-studded defense, and the Ravens are going to be a problem for years to come. Just want I just want Lamar Jackson to get right. One of the key guys who's assembled this perennial contender is is Joe Hortis. Matt Stevens writes from the uh, Ravens Wire, quote, Baltimore has often been the league's go-to front office for front office executives, and you'll find plenty of former scouts heading up teams right now. That automatically makes director of player personnel Joe Hortis an attractive option for any team wanting a football brain as a general manager. Close quote. Agreed. The Bears faced this same problem sometimes, some time ago. They still haven't solved it yet. They haven't gotten the right people in place yet from general manager to coach. But we're talking general manager here for the Carolina Panthers. 
And one of the league's up-and-coming franchises, believe it or not, is the Arizona Cardinals. They're starting to assemble a promising young team around star-studded quarterback Kyler Murray. And if you pick off some talent from the Cardinals, it wouldn't be a bad idea. Here are two potential candidates of color who might appeal to David Tepper. And that is Assistant Pro Personnel Director Quentin Harris and Director of Pro Scouting Adrian Wilson. Harris has been in the Cardinals front office for 17 years, working his way up the ladder, and he began in the scouting department. Then he was Assistant Pro Personnel Director, then Director of Pro Scouting, and in 2019, he became General Manager Steve Kimes, number two, being named Director of Player Personnel. He oversees both the pro and college personnel departments and assists Kime with contract negotiations. I like that. I like that. As far as Wilson goes, he's a former Cardinal star. He retired and then chose to work in the front office after his career. He started as a scout also. He also had an untitled role where he did a little bit of everything. <laughs> former Cardinals head coach Bruce Arians used to call Wilson vice president stuff. He has worked on college and pro scouting, can be seen on the sideline in practice, played a role during the Cardinals coaching searches, but now he's the director of pro scouting and it appears he's being groomed to become a GM. That would be great. He'd be following in the steps of formal, former Cardinals great Larry Wilson, who went from a playing field to eventually general manager. How about this name? Bill's assistant manager, Joe Schoen, and senior personnel advisor, Brian Gain. You know, the reminders had a fantastic candidate in the Panthers had a fantastic candidate in waiting who got picked off by Buffalo a while ago. And that's Brandon Bean. Bean and Sean McDermott have assembled an AFC East champion and a legitimate playoff contender in Buffalo to get Carolina back on track. One of Bean's assistants could replace some of the magic they lost when he left. They also have two potential candidates, assistant general manager, Joe Schoen and advisor Ben Gain. As I said before, Joe Schoen, uh, Shane, I beg your pardon. He's the Buffalo assistant GM and has been there for the entirety of general manager, Brandon Bean's tenure. And he's done some good work. Shane does some scouting he was in a scouting role with the Dolphins. But here's a curveball for you. Shane's NFL career began as a ticket office inter intern in 2000, oddly enough, with the Carolina Panthers. How about that? So, Shane, you could be writing your ticket home to Carolina. Who knows? Brian Gain was pretty much let go because of Bill O'Brien. He was fired just over a year into his job, and in that season, the Texans were 11-5. Seems like the guy really didn't get a shot to assemble anything. He's got a good track record because he was with the Texans, and then the Bills poached him in 2017. Texans got him back, and then the Bills brought him back once again. So Gain is a popular name as well. How about the name Lewis Riddick? There are a couple of quality GM candidates who are not currently working for an NFL team. 
This is one of them, and he's perhaps the hottest name on the market right now. Riddick's been doing excellent work with ESPN's Monday Night Football, but he's more than just an analyst. He's got an extensive experience in personnel. He served as a pro scout for the Washington Redskins from 2001 to 2004 before being promoted to director of pro personnel from 2008 to 2009, worked his way up the chain with the Philadelphia Eagles and had a four-year run as their director of pro personnel. If the Panthers show interest, they'll have plenty of competition. Riddick's also been connected to the GM openings for both the Houston Texans and the Detroit Lions and the Jacksonville Jaguars. But I have another um, I have another suggestion for Houston. I'll talk about that after the new year. Want a free agent? How about this guy, Thomas Dimitrov? Thomas Dimitrov got fired earlier this year from Atlanta. Which makes me want to which makes me wonder who'd want to take this chance. Well, he's planning to be interviewed by Detroit. Dimitrov had a 12-year run at the Falcons GM. He put some time in with Bill Belichick's New England Patriots when they were peaking early last decade. He was their director of college scouting from 2003 to 2007. An in-house candidate could be Patrick Stewart. We don't have... We, we don't know if that if, if that's going to happen, but Pat Stewart currently serving as the team's director of playing personnel. So there's a lot of behind-the-scenes work going on. He came to Charlotte via Philadelphia where he worked as a national scout from 18 until the Panthers hired him. Before that, Stewart spent the previous 10 years as a scout for, you guessed it, the New England Patriots. His influence is already abundantly clear because Carolina has added several former Philadelphia players this season, including cornerback Rasul Douglas, defensive tackle Bruce Hector, and wide receivers Markin Michelle and Shelton Gibson. Stewart was only hired in May to fill his current role, but to me he seems like the candidate who can rise fast. He just might be the right captain to turn this ship around. So those are all the... Those are all the names. And while we're talking about the Carolina Panthers, look at some of their top picks. And the one I want to concentrate on is the fellow who terrorized quarterbacks many, many years, Julius Peppers. Drafted 2002 out of North Carolina, two-sports star. I mean, you couldn't even mention the word sack without Julius Peppers being in the backfield. Thomas Davis was with him. Linebacker out of Georgia, who has 29 career sacks. But if you think of Carolina from 2000 to 2017, not only do you think of Cam Newton, you also think of Julius Peppers. And as I met, and some of the other names on my list in front of me, Jordan Gross, along with John Benson, and Chris Gamble, 2003, 2007, 2004, respectively. But the fellow who, for me, defensively made the Panthers into a powerhouse was Julius Peppers. Remember, before then, they had the late, great Sam Mills with them. But as I said, you couldn't mention Carolina getting a sack without mentioning Julius Peppers. I mean, he terrorized everybody. He was a big part of that Panthers team that 
went to the Super Bowl in Houston and damn near won it. And damn near won it. Also, when we're talking Panthers, I know I talked about him earlier, but you got to mention number 91, Kevin Green. Also in that, also in that backfield. A Hall of Famer who passed away. And I'll take a short moment to thank LeVon Kirkland, who called in and spoke of Kevin Green. It's a shock right now. Rest in peace, Kevin. Rest in peace and rest in heaven. Cole Johnson's next after the break. <laughs> 